Jerry Sloan is absolutely the greatest. The world of basketball, forget that. The world of life, the game that Jerry leads the charge. As true a saint of circumstance as I've ever met. So fierce, so proud, so loyal, so giving. You're the greatest of champions, Jerry. You make us proud. You make us excited. You make us lucky. Because what you gave us was that compass, the sense of morality, the sense of perspective, relativity, tolerance, and patience. So fierce, so tenacious, so tough. But for those of us, Jerry, who witnessed your incredible life, the sense of fairness, the sense of compassion, the sense of love, and the sense of doing something to help others. Jerry, you've always stood tall for those who couldn't do it on their own. There's no one like you, Jerry. There never has been, and there certainly never will be again. I'm sure that you have heard the sad news today. In case you haven't, Jerry Sloan, head coach of the Utah Jazz and one of the greatest icons this state will ever have, passed away today at the age of 78. Um, man, really sad. Uh, this is a guy who meant a lot to me. A lot to me that I got to know uh, over a number of years of being in sports and entertainment. I got to know him after his retirement. And he is somebody that uh, will sit in a very special place in my heart for the rest of my life. Um, very few people are truly that authentic. Where it is really, you know, what you see is what you get. From the tough country boy attitude to the simplest mindset about what it takes to compete um, to the messages about character and toughness all the way down to the John Deere hat. He was truly legit. And it was mesmerizing for me because a lot of people that you will see on TV might not be exactly what you would have thought or exactly what you think. Not always a bad thing, by the way. It's not like everyone's a phony or anything like that, but not everyone can put forward who they are so perfectly in every single interaction. And what you saw on TV, he was like that as a person. He was like that as a coach. When the mics were on, when the mics were off, that was Jerry Sloan. Maybe the language was cleaner, but that's who he was, truly. He didn't, he didn't know how to be something different. And for those of you listening that had a chance to see him on TV, watching games, growing up, watching the jazz, you didn't have to meet him to really know him. For all you fans out there, what you probably thought he was like, you're probably right on the money. Because that's the way that it was for me. And I still believe that's what garnered the trust of so many people is his authenticity. I mean, I knew him as a media member and then got to kind of know him as a friend. But I, I would have, I would have run a wall. I, I mean, I would have run through a wall for him. I would have, I would have done anything for him, because you knew exactly what you were dealing with. You never had to read him. You never had to wonder. You never had to read between the lines. You never had to. No. No. He was as real as it gets. 
and he never talked a big game. He just walked it. Every single day, head down, mouth shut, go to work, get better, win the day, deal with the results. Take life for exactly what it is. No complaints, no excuses, go back to work. That's who he was. And if you grew up when I did, uh, watching the Jazz during those 90s years, you really felt like Jerry was your coach too. I felt that way. Because his messages were so great for basketball and life. Messages of mental toughness, character, attitude, not feeling sorry for yourself, uh, dealing with the good and the bad in life because you're going to have both. You know, as he would say, removing the rearview mirror of the car because the only place to be looking is forward. That's it. It's the only place on the road to be looking, forward. I remember times when being in a media scrum and hearing him talk. It was almost like getting the greatest life advice you could ever receive. And all he was talking about was trying to find a way to get some stops at the end of a game against Cleveland in, in the 17th game of the season, right? On a random Tuesday night. But the way he's talking about it and the way he's laying out the details, it was like great life advice to go with it. He loved to compete, and you could just feel that from him. Every moment. The players that played for him had something special with that coach. And in a moment, I'll play for you uh, the sound of what Frank Layden had to say and why Jerry is what it took to push the Utah Jazz to become what we've always known them to be, what the Stockton and Malone era happened to be, what championship-level competition uh, was experienced in this market because of Jerry Sloan. It was amazing. I'll let you hear what Thurl Bailey had to say with his thoughts on what made Jerry uh, so special to play for and why Jerry was instrumental uh, to the career that Thurl Bailey has now. What he was like as a friend. You'll hear what guys had to say about that. And I'll play some sound bites from a myriad of other players uh, who had the chance to play for Jerry. Um, really sad day, to say the least. Heartbreaking. Um, but this is a man that I absolutely love. Uh, this is a man that I am honored to, to have a friendship with, uh, honored to have a working relationship with. And, um, you know, the things that this guy taught me will be with me for the rest of my life. And that I am very, very grateful for. I'm wearing my Jerry Sloan jersey today. I have a Chicago Bulls Jerry Sloan jersey. I'm really not a big jersey guy when it comes to basketball. I don't know why. I don't wear a lot of basketball jerseys. Um, it's probably because I don't go to a lot of NBA games as a fan, right? Because I'm working. Whereas I'll wear like a Bears jersey or a Michigan jersey to a football game. Um, but today, you know, the NBA jersey I wear when I'm not working, which would be like a jazz game, uh, is a Chicago Bulls, Jerry Sloan, number four, uh, black jersey with the red lettering. I love it. I love this jersey. It's my favorite jersey uh, that I've ever had because of what this man really means, what this man has really stood for for so many years, and um, just the special relationship and the special feeling that I get um, when I think of this man. Yeah, a lot of people lost a great friend today, and the world lost uh, a guy that uh, no one will ever match that kind of toughness. It'll never be a tougher guy than Jerry Sloan, I'll guarantee you that. That dude is as tough as they get. So, lifting the curtain today, I'll give you some of my Jerry Sloan stories. Um, and, I, you know, three or four that I'll share with you, some really fun moments of having a chance to be around him and some of the bond that we had. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening to the Tony Parks podcast. 
uh, for subscribing, for all the wonderful feedback, the positive messages. I really thank you for all of that. So thanks for uh, for being a part of this. Uh, follow us at Tony Parks 801 on uh, all forms of social media. And you can uh, email me with uh, whether you want to be a sponsor, any kind of feedback, whatever it is, Tony Parks 801 at gmail.com. So the first story I'll give you really goes to show uh, the kind of competitor that he was. And a lot of these stories will include that. I remember we're, we're standing around, I think it was like a Saturday too. We're standing around for a shoot around one morning at the arena. Now picture the tunnel coming from the court. So you have like where the jazz bench is and then there's that tunnel that goes towards the back and then you head towards the Utah Jazz locker room. Well, picture that tunnel coming from the court with a giant black curtain covering any vision of the court. So now we're kind of behind the scenes in the arena. So the corner of the court would be through the curtain to your left. The locker room area at the time would be through some doors to your right. And everyone loved to do their media availability in this open area adjacent to the locker room door. But Jerry did his very differently. He would come through, walk right to a garbage can. <laughs> this, this garbage can that had a lid right there. And he would like drag it over by this pole, this cement pillar, and lean on the garbage can. And then everyone would interview him from there. And if you watch a lot of film, you're going to see a lot of film of, of sound bites from him and stuff like that. You'll see a big giant cement pillar in the background or like a hallway, or a cement wall in the background, whatever. That's because he set up in the worst possible spot for anyone that was covering shoot-around for a TV station. I, I used to feel really bad for camera guys and stuff like that because the shot in the background, you'd see him, right? He's got his John Deere hat and all that. But in the background, you'd just have cement wall or you know some big cement pillar or a hallway, whatever it was. So one day, the Jazz are getting ready to play, and I think it was, I think it was Minnesota. But it was a team that wasn't very good. And that week, I remember, was very unique because the Jazz had finished playing like Boston, L.A., San Antonio. It was a crazy week of games. And, you know, ESPN one game, TNT the other game, raucous crowds, playoff atmosphere. You could just feel it. You know, this was during um, uh, Darren and Boozer years. And the Jazz were considered like a light contender. So there was a lot of enthusiasm about the team. And I remember the Jazz, they're getting ready. They have shoot-around. Jerry's talking to the media. So after all these really tough games, now Saturday they're facing like a cupcake. And someone in the media asks, Hey, uh, Jerry, uh, how do you make sure you, uh, you know, keep your team sharp for this one? He goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, after having so many big games this week, now you're, you're playing a game that's not as good or, or a team that's not as good. And, you know, this game isn't quite as big as those ones. And Jerry interrupted him right away, like right away. And Jerry's like, you don't think it's a big game? You don't think it's a big game? Well, then why don't we just go tell our team to lose it? If it's not a big game, hell, don't even worry about winning. If we lost tonight, I, I bet you'd let us hear about it. I know the fans spend their money. Pay a lot of money to come see us play. I bet they'd let us hear about it. You, you, you ever want to find out how not important something is, you go out and you lose it. And then come back and tell me it wasn't important. Every day is important. Every game is important. That's why you go play. That's, that's why you try to win at something every day. 
and I know my Jerry Sloan impersonation is not like my hot rod one, but the point is, I just remember it going really quiet. And no one was quite sure on, on what to respond with at that moment. Because Jerry could go from something simple, you know, uh, that he was saying to something really serious in a hurry. In a hurry. And that was one of those moments. But that was his thing. He treated the game against Minnesota every bit the same as he did San Antonio, uh, Dallas. You know, it didn't matter who they were playing. If you were playing a contender of some sort, uh, you know, Boston, the Lakers, it mattered. Every game, every day, every practice, every minute mattered. It always did. And I always thought that that was so important. Now mattered as much as any other time because all you have is another now. And that's the way he treated it. And he brought it every single day. So here was a media member like, boy, this is really different. And I remember that shoot around, you know, when they had shoot arounds with those other three games that were big. I mean, it was packed. I mean, media everywhere. And then this shoot around, you know, it's maybe five or six people tops there to get interviews before the game. So I always loved that that was his attitude. Um, he loved it when I would do my Hot Rod Hunley impersonation. Uh, he got the biggest kick out of that. So for a few years, it was my responsibility uh, to make sure that the equipment was ready and all set up for the, the Coach Jerry Sloan show. And what that was is like Hot Rod at about 5.30 would record the interviews in about the third row or so over behind the scores table. And then what they would do is play that interview back during, you know, the moments right before tip-off. So I would be in position, then Jerry would get there, and then we'd wait a little while, maybe five minutes or so, and then Hot Rod would show up. And Jerry and I would talk about all kinds of stuff when we had a, a chance to sit and chat. Um, but he loved it when I would do some Hot Rod banter with him. So one day, I, uh, before he knew that I could do this, I grabbed the microphone uh, that was just sitting right there that had the equipment ready, I just grabbed it and I go, hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Coach Jerry Sloan Show. Uh, tonight, the Utah Jazz, who have won five in a row, are set to face the pesky wolves at Energy Solutions Arena. And uh, Coach, uh, you know, this is going to be a big game. And he'd start laughing and he, he had so much fun with that. So after a while, you know, I would, we would always have some hot rod banter. But after a while, I would start just throwing in funny questions. Hey, uh, Coach, what do you think about trying to sneak a six-player on the floor, you know? Uh, bring in like a hockey sub, and do you think this team would know how to play a 3-3 zone? You know, I'd throw out something crazy. Like, hey, Coach, do you think coaches should be able to drink a Budweiser during the game? And he'd be like, well, Hot Rod, I think they should, you know? Put it right over there on the scores table. And we would laugh about it, and we just had funny interactions. And so... <laughs> One day I was like, uh, tonight's officials are so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. Uh, coach, if you got one chance, which one of these guys would you like to punch right in the face? He, he responds, he goes, I'd like to punch every single one of them. And he's kidding and having fun with it. We had those moments together that I absolutely loved. Just they, they were just great. And so, you know, you're there, you're at the arena, you get there, you're preparing, you're getting ready for the game. I'm getting ready for the broadcast. He's getting ready to coach. And it was just great to have a moment to smile and laugh, you know, before the game got going and before the work got heavy. And so Hot Rod would get there and Jerry would still be laughing a little bit because he had just heard me doing Hot Rod's voice. And now here's Hot Rod doing it seriously. You know, he'd come over. All right, are we ready to go? Are we ready to roll? Is this... Everything's ready. And I, he would just be saying that. And, and Jerry would start laughing and looking away and smiling. 
And then Hot Rod would, hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Coach Jerry Sloan Show. As the Jazz, who've won five in a row, try to make it six tonight as they face the Minnesota Timberwolves. And while Hot Rod was doing, you know, the serious introduction, Jerry would be looking at me and smiling and gently laughing the whole entire time. He thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. And it was a lot of fun. And it's something we shared and something we looked forward to every single night. Uh, Now, when Jerry was actually coaching, most times I was in the upper broadcast position, kind of working with Hot Rod most times. Or if I was doing the sideline reporting, I was positioned in an area that wasn't really around Jerry. But one time, uh, I was around Jerry, and it was a road game. It was against the Lakers, and I was working, uh, kind of assisting the engineering with Mike Noto, who's the uh, L.A. Lakers uh, engineer. He's the best in the entire NBA. And so it was November 30th, 2006. I remember it was a Thursday night. TNT game. Kobe Bryant goes off for 30 points in the third. Uh, he scored like 52 overall. I mean, it was insane. I mean, he, he went out of the game early, and I want to say if he didn't, he probably would have scored 70 without a problem. I mean, it was, it was one of those nights where you saw great athletes on the court, and as great as everybody was, there was one guy that was at a Mount Rushmore level when it, you know, when it came to talent. So the Jazz are getting beat pretty soundly. I mean, Kobe dunked on them, hitting crazy threes. And randomly out of nowhere, out of nowhere, I'm courtside, I'm by the Jazz bench, and I'm right there with Hot Rod. Jerry just starts yelling, Hey! Hey! And he does this, like, lumbering walk up the side of the court. You can just hear his shoes with a click-clack as he's walking up the side of the court. And it's out of nowhere. It's a blowout. It wasn't really a controversial call. There was, I mean, like there was nothing to complain about or argue. So I'm confused at what he's doing and I'm trying to figure out is he, because he's not looking at a player either. He's not calling out a play. It was really confusing. He's, he's kind of on a 45 degree angle to my right. And I remember looking right over at him and I could hear him, but I couldn't hear what was being said by those at the scores table. And he goes, hey, that's Jaron Collins. You tell that some Jason Collins plays for New Jersey. And he was yelling at the PA announcer who must have called Jaron Collins by his twin brother's name. And so I didn't, I, I didn't hear it, but you better believe Jerry did. So the look on Jerry's face was intense. Oh, he was fired up. And I couldn't hear what they were saying back to him, but they didn't hear him the first time. So he goes, you tell that some that's Jaron Collins. Jason Collins plays for New Jersey. What's that? Oh, yeah. You tell him pull his head out of his ass and he'll be fine. I said, you tell him pull his head out of his ass and he'll be all right. And then Jerry walks right back and I just, oh my gosh, it took everything in me to not burst out loud laughing. Like the simplicity of, yeah, just pull your head out of your keister and everything will be just fine. I mean, the, the, his team was getting killed and no matter what, he was going to defend his guys. Everything mattered. Every second mattered. The respect of getting your name uh, correct mattered. Being on time mattered. All of that stuff mattered. He was as buttoned up as anybody out there, and uh, he stood up for his guys all the time. Um, You would see it in every game film that you ever watched. If something went down, he was out there on the court and ready to fight, ready to defend Stockton, ready to defend a player, ready to go after an official or an opponent, you know? I mean, he had no problem with that. And I thought that that's what made him so special. Man, he supported his guys like nothing else. And, And 
He didn't care how famous this PA announcer was. I always forget the guy's name, uh, but he's done it forever uh, there with the L.A. Lakers. Uh, He was going to make dang sure that you were on your game uh, because respect mattered each and every single moment. Um, He was a fan of me and my show, and that meant a lot to me. I remember seeing him for a moment in the hallway of the arena a few years ago. I'm right there in the opening that leads to elevator four at the bottom level of the arena. And I walk up, shake his hand, say hi to him, say hi to Tammy. And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, listen to your show every day. Hear your show every day. And uh, he said that he got a laugh out of Jake and I and, and how much he enjoyed the show. And I remember thinking to myself, how cool is that? That as big a fan as I am a Jerry, like he's somehow a fan of my work? That's weird because I never thought uh, that there would ever be a day that Jerry Sloan could walk up to me and be like, wow, love what you do. I think you're good. Like that was so important to me. And the reason why it was, like I said before, is because he absolutely felt like everyone's coach. So coach's approval on anything just meant the world to me. Really, really special friendship that I was able to have with him and some bonds and some conversations uh, that I'll carry with me uh, forever. Uh, I had the chance to speak with a few people about Jerry Sloan recently and get some audio and stuff in in other media situations in the past. Uh, Here are some of the words spoken by many uh, that knew him much better than I did and uh, their special tribute to Jerry Sloan. I think both Stockton and Malone became better players when they were coached by Jerry, uh, Jerry Sloan. Jerry was perfect for them. Because he was, he had that kind of toughness about him, also, and he had the respect of them because they knew that he was a great player. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, we had it was a wonderful thing. Uh, I was uh, not in that case; it was a trumpet. Uh, but I think that uh, Stockton was was better off. I think we were the right team for him. I think we were the right team for Carl Malone. And I think when Jerry fit in there, I think he he was he was the perfect coach. For that, uh, for that tandem. When you were stepping aside, you recommended him to be the head coach. What were you? Oh yes, seeing? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have left if if, he, if it hadn't been him to be the coach. Really? And uh, don't forget, my son Scott was the other guy, and I think he didn't get enough credit for what he uh, gave to it too. And I think Jerry would be the first one to to recognize that, as would uh, probably Carl and, and John. You know, Scott was quiet. But his input was terrific, mm-hmm. and uh, and the reason we had those guys was because of Scott. He was the guy that said we should pick him. Scott ran the ran the drafts and uh, and told us who to pick, and uh, and we made some wonderful picks. Not just in those guys, though. You think of Bobby Hanson, or Earl Bailey, or you know so many of our, our other players that we got in the drafts that played well for us. You know, when I had them, they were very good. But when they got with Jerry. And Jerry employed more than I did the high pick and roll, all right, which now all teams are using. I thought that uh, there was uh, what I said before about the coach and the players. Jerry Jerry believed in it. He opened up the middle, all right. We uh, we couldn't go inside because uh, you know uh, uh, we had uh, we had big uh, big Mark, and uh, but we went and and for a while there when I was there we had. We had Adrian Dantley, so we, we had the, the 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 key was was clogged up. We had to get the ball to Dantley, and because uh, that's where he operated. And then uh, of course uh, Carl Malone operated down there, and and we had Mark. So anyway, 
Jerry solved that by running the high pick and roll, and then you saw the great uh, Stockton to Malone, and that's when you know all the assists and and baskets started. Oh yeah, and the rest was history. We all <laughs> yeah, the rest is history. I'd say that that was uh, that was uh, you know when they were breaking all the records and everything. But that was when I realized that he was uh, he was something special. You know, did Jerry ever say to you, hey? Um... Just a thought, Coach. What do we think about the high pick and roll? Did he ever like? Were there discussions and meetings? Yes, uh, I mean we, we discussed everything. Jerry Jerry was in uh, like a, he was like the offensive coach, and 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 him and Scott would work on things, and and then they'd say, "What do you think?" And well, let's take a look at it. And yeah, that's what we do. And and Phil Johnson had a lot to do with it also. And then Phil, when he was working with Phil Johnson, and and uh, had a great relationship with uh, with Jerry and Scott, and. And they they managed to do it more. I that, I I had very little to do with that, and I can't take any credit for it at all. But it was the right way for those two guys to play. Coming up with again, the Jazz were the right team for both of them to play. I went so far as to say I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know if Carl Malone or John Stockton would have made the Hall of Fame if they hadn't played together. And they hadn't played together here at Utah. Yep. They might have been very good players in the league, but I don't know if playing for other coaches uh, than Jerry Sloan and Phil Johnson and Scotty Layden, they would have uh, uh, they would have made the uh, they would have uh, reached that level that they did. You can recall where you knew Jerry Sloan would not just be the head coach of the team, but would be a great long tenured you know, legendary coach of that team. You know, I think when Jerry came with us, all right, he said to me, he said, you know, what I'm missing is experience. He said, don't be afraid to teach me. And, you know, and we had a wonderful relationship. I don't think in the whole time Jerry was my assistant that we ever, and I never thought of him as being my assistant. I always thought we were co-coaches and I, and I put Scott right in there with us. Uh, you know, we all uh, we listened to each other. If on the bench one of them made a suggestion, uh, you know, we, we'd react to it. We'd we'd act on it, and we got along so good that that there was no jealousy. There was no you know, and and Jerry was so so good at saying you know when he took over coaching the Chicago Bulls and eventually got fired, uh, he said you know I I wasn't ready for the job, and so after a while of working with him. And uh, and spending time with him and talking about coaching and what have you, and you know he had played for the great Dick Mata, which was a, a tremendous coach. He should be in the Hall of Fame. It's a, a tragedy he's not because he was one of the best coaches the NBA ever had. And uh, and uh, Jerry uh, learned a lot from him, and then uh, and then about sitting on the bench and and preparing and what have you. And Jerry was just a sponge. And like I said, we never had a crossword, never. And the whole time we were there, never, never said, you know, what are you doing? What everything was was, and that made coaching fun too, and, and worthwhile. What did you feel was Jerry's biggest learning moment in those early years? Uh, you know, I I think that the, the transfer, all right, for a lot of athletes, okay, is is when your playing days are over, and you try to take your standards. Ted Williams tried managing and coaching, you know. And he couldn't do it because he couldn't ever bring people up to his level. He never could understand why everybody didn't do it like he did, you know. 
and he was so gifted, and yet, uh, and yet, uh, 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 you know, Jerry Sloan, who was this guy who worked hard and everything, what he had to do, he had to learn to balance that, that everybody wasn't Jerry Sloan, that there was different personalities, there were different tendencies of toughness, and uh, and he, as soon as he, one thing about Jerry, he's very, very good uh, about getting along, you know, even, even people say he was tough and everything, but he, the referees liked Jerry. Jerry was pro-referee. Jerry was pro-NBA. He loved the game. He loved the, the, the professional basketball game. But I think, uh, you know, the fact that what he needed was some time on the bench and, 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 uh, and listening and, and being asked his advice and being brought along. I remember the great Lou Conaseca telling me that he went right from St. John's to coach the Nets. And he said to me, he knew I was going to go from coaching Niagara, right, to be an assistant uh, to UB Brown with the uh, Atlanta Hawks. And he said, that's the best thing you could happen. He said, everybody needs a couple of years of being an assistant before he takes over as a head coach in the NBA. And I think that that was true for Jerry, and I think it was true for me also. Yeah, and anybody else for that matter. What was yeah, your you know, favorite? And you know, another great coach was Phil yeah. Johnson. Oh, yeah. We were very fortunate to have some wonderful coaches and some wonderful players who stayed here. They weren't looking to, this wasn't a training ground for them. They wanted to play for the Jazz. They wanted to be part of this organization. Yeah. I, I and they always... were treated very well by our owners, you know. Mm-hmm. Sam Battistone was a great owner, and Larry Miller was a great owner. Great guys to play for. And there's nothing like that, right? <laughs> when you know your boss is a good oh, guy helps, to yeah, play for. Right, because yeah. authority comes from above. You know, I don't care whether you're a high school teacher or, or whatever it is, you're a policeman or what have you. Your authority comes from above. And unless you get support from above, you don't stand a chance. I don't care who you are. Because the players will read that. They'll understand it. This guy's, this guy's in trouble, you know, and, and, and they'll, they'll side on the, uh, with the, those people who are going to survive. It's just natural for people to be that way. I was in the Army, and, you know, it was the same thing for the officers. You better have the respect of the, of the soldiers, and they better understand that you, you, you've earned that respect and that you're getting backed up, or else uh, you're going uh, to be in trouble. What was your favorite conversation with Jerry Sloan about anything away from the game? Like, did you guys talk about anything other than basketball? Oh, yeah. We'd talk, we'd talk about other athletes and other sports and baseball and, and boxing. And, you know, we were interested in a lot of different things. Yeah. We'd always be talking about other coaches or what have Al Davis or something. We'd be talking about him. That's all we did. That's all we did. We talked about sports. We talked about, you know. What's the best and, sports uh, argument you ever had with him? You know, was he, was he, oh, I can't, I, no, I can't remember. <laughs> was really he like a Willie Mays guy and you're a Mickey Mantle guy? Was it, oh, you know? <laughs> no, no, no. no, I don't think we have argued about play. I used to, I used to give in to, to Jerry when I'd say how so-and-so is. And he'd see things in athletes that maybe I didn't see. Really? You know, he liked mental toughness and physical toughness and a guy's attitude, how hard he worked in, in, uh, in the practice and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No doubt he about saw, that. He saw good in a lot of guys. And, and I, a lot of players made our team because we liked them as people before we liked them as necessarily athletes. You know, you don't, it's not a track meet. And so it's not, you know, individual performances that are always going to win for you. So, you know, we, we, were, we were gifted with, with good guys who also were good people and, and loyal.
That's very important in, in having a uh, having team, teamwork, team effort. You know, yeah, teamwork. What was the best example then of Jerry finding something in a player that maybe nobody else was? Well, I think that Jerry liked toughness, you know, and he believed if once you know what happens is, I think you know if you look at Jerry's success, that once Jerry liked you, and you you could go out there and do the best you can, and he would back you up on it, then your confidence went away up high. You know, uh, I mean, uh, you know, whether, whether you know, players came with us who were mediocre with other teams and they joined us and they saw that Jerry liked who they were and they were better players uh, for it. He saw something in them that uh, made them better. And one thing about Jerry, he never second-guessed. If we drafted players, uh, it could be Danny Shays, you know, we drafted him. There was a lot of criticism about it. But he, he right away started working with him started uh, getting, uh, you know, on his side. And, and, and I think I think uh, Danny Shays ended up playing like 18 years or something. What's the best way to describe playing for Jerry Sloan? Best way to describe playing for him is business. I mean, he was all business when it came to playing basketball and preparing for it. Um, he... he he coached like he played. I mean, I know we've heard that before and it might be a cliche, but he, he's one of the toughest son of a guns I've ever met. I've ever known. Um, when it comes to turning that switch on and going to work and instilling that and, in, in that personality and your players, um, there's no, regardless of what your personality is going into it, you end up being a part of kind of a reconstructing yourself to understand that this is how you need to be every single night to win consistently. Um, and doesn't matter whether the team knows what you're running or not, they shouldn't be able to stop it. And so Jerry was just, uh, you know, as a coach, I, re- I remember him, in his learning process, even though he had had some head coaching. Um, but when Frank hired him and he took the reins, um, his first priority was to surround himself with people that could help him achieve those things. You know, people like Phil Johnson. Um, and, and so, uh, I, I, I watched that as we progressed as a team made the playoffs every year since, you know, my rookie season, when Frank was coaching for those first few years, but um, you just love to go to work. You know, you love to go to work under Jerry and then off the court, he was such a fun man. Just, you know, just, just to see him, it, it just felt like he was a player, right? I mean, he was your teammate. Um, but uh, there's just not another guy who has made me respect the game so much especially at, at the NBA level than Jerry Sloan. What's your favorite memory of being around him all those years when you talk about, you know, he was such a fun man and great to be around and have a chance to know? Well, the trust. Uh, we trusted him. He trusted us. Um, I think the year I got traded, uh, it wasn't a norm for coaches to kind of 
pull you aside, invite you to dinner and have a beer, or, you know, have a bite to eat and just talk to you. Right. Because there's, there's players and then there's like front office people, there's the execs. And so I'm sure in a lot of instances, coaches fall under that exact front office thing. And so there's not a ton of trust there with the coach. You hope that you can form that, but we had that with Jerry. And I remember in my, in Miami, I went to dinner with Jerry and he invited me to dinner and he started talking to me about kind of what the team was thinking. And, um, you know, that he didn't know how much longer he could protect me. And I wasn't playing that well. So he was basically giving me a pep talk to say, you know, I want you, I want you to every night go out and give me all you got. Uh, yeah. There's, there's some, trade talk going on that Jazz are looking maybe to replace you. So I took that and I didn't, you know, I didn't raise a fuss or anything or go to the papers. I mean, I, I took that as if, you know, here's a man who respects me that much to sit me down and, and, and tell me the truth and not lie to me and tell me what's going on so I can prepare myself for whatever happens. So in mm-hmm. in that way, I just, you know, I, I I've loved him for that and respected him. And even after I was done playing, I mean, he's the guy who encouraged me to get into the broadcast booth. When did he, when did he tell you that? He told me that we were over, um, we were over, we're working out somewhere. He just gotten off the treadmill and I just gotten off the bike and I knew that I, I, I wasn't going to try to go play anymore. And he just came over. We started talking and broadcasting kind of came up and he encouraged me. He said, I think, you know, you should go talk to Randy Rigby and I think he'd be really good. And so he is the guy who put that bug in my ear and really started the, um, the conversation about me broadcast that's amazing that would, was would you have ever thought about it uh yeah probably at some degree to some degree i probably would i mean that's what i studied in school okay um but i i didn't really i mean i had other things that i wanted to get into as well other businesses um but it wasn't until then that uh that I really seriously consider it uh, because coming from him, you know, I mean, you always listen when Jerry talks. And so I, I took it to heart and I remember not too long after that talking to Randy Rigby and, and, uh, they gave me a shot. We were in, uh, um, San Antonio and their mascot, the coyote, Jerry was doing something, yelling at an official and he couldn't get his team started stomping his <laughs> stomping his foot on the floor. And the, the coyote went in the back and brought out a cockroach about that big, a plastic cockroach about that big, and threw it down and told him, stomp on stomp. <laughs> that, was, that was one of the funny moments that I remember him doing. Uh, just, uh, and uh, oh, I don't know, Jerry had a lot, of, a lot of things he said that were funny. Can't be repeated on film, but uh, uh, that was one of the ones that comes to mind quickly. My favorite moment is to see him run on the court in 97 in Houston when John Stockton hit that shot. 
That was a memorable moment I'm never going to forget. Open three. Hit John Stockton sends the Utah Jazz to the NBA Finals. He loves to win. When a coach loves to win, the players show that we behind them every, every step of the way, that we're going to win for you and, and take it to the next level. And, that's, and that was just the key to that. Um, he showed me a lot of things when I came from the East Coast to play out here in the West Coast, which I didn't think I was going to play here in Utah, which became a, a great moment for me. I, I never let that go at any time or anywhere. The one thing that uh, John and I seemed to do a lot after games was go down to the bar and have a beer with Jerry and kind of you know bring up things. Uh, hey, coach, can we do this? He goes, all right, we'll do it tomorrow. So he would uh, uh, do some things in practice the next day. and. Uh, you know, there was a couple times he got mad at us, like, you guys want to coach this team? <laughs> you know, some of those, but, uh, you know, to have a coach like that was great. Game situations, certain mannerisms he had where it gave you confidence at the end of the game. I remember him saying one time that uh, called me aside and he says, he said, they're puckering up. And I went, what? I mean, it was so out of, out of character for him. He said, they're puckering up. And sure enough, we ended up winning that game. We relaxed and played through it and won the game. He saw the game, and we knew it. And uh, every once in a while, he let us see his inside right in the middle of a game, and that was fun. You know, he demanded a lot. He expected a lot. You know, he, had, he held everybody accountable. And I grew up old school with my grandpa and my mom. You hold a person accountable. Tell that person when he's screwing up. Tell that person what he need to do. And that's how coaching was with me. So right off the bat, I knew I was dealing with a real person. And uh, so just, you know, nowadays, we want to take the credit when we play great. But when we lose, it's somebody else's fault. So Coach Sloan always had us, held us accountable in the locker room. But one thing he always did, when he came out and talked to the media, he always took all the blame. Which, to me, that's a stand-up person because a lot of people don't do that. He would tell you what he thought because he could do other things. So uh, that's what I know about Coach. He's just a, what you see is what you get. That guy never changed in all these years with me. That's good though? Oh, awesome. Not just good, it's great. We can always talk about it, but this, it won't be anymore. Number one, what kind of loyalty I have. Do I have a loyalty for this franchise or am I looking for another coaching gig somewhere else? That's, a friend of mine sung, uh, wrote a song, The Last of Dying Breed. Uh, Neil McCoy, you probably didn't hear it. But that's Coach Sloan. That's it. You know, he's the last of dying breed. He did it the right way. He played, he, he earned respect. He never demanded. He earned it by who he was as a person and the way he treated you as a player. <laughs> so I take a real offense to a player to say Coach Sloan wasn't, wasn't a good person or wasn't fair because he was. He just demanded a lot. And nowadays, maybe kids don't want him. They don't want the onus on them. When it's great, they want it. But you gotta, you gotta take the good with the bad. But that that guy there. There'll never be another one like it. In a ball game, when my emotions is high and his high, he would say it. But and I might say something to him, but not one time that I never go back to him and say I'm sorry, my bad. Our relationship was better than that. It was better than 
player coach. It was better than that. So, uh, but how often? Even in practice, he held, he held me accountable. And uh, it took me a while to accept it, but once I accepted, I understood. I understood because here's a guy that played the game. Here's a guy, four games in five nights, he know you're tired. And sometimes he would look at me and say, what do you think? I said, well, I don't know. What do you think? Well, you going to play the rest of the game. Yes, sir. His, his work ethic is, uh, I mean, you saw more as a player. I don't think people necessarily understand it as a coach, but demanding that out about all the players, being willing to get on Carl's rear end of mine. Um, we're, getting, we're getting a lot of the credit for, for the thing that, it, that the team shares equally. And, um, for him to go and, and, to, and to say, hey, look, this is where the buck stops, and I, I think everybody listens. So I think he was a genius. He knew how to, knew how to motivate guys without burying them, knew how to give credit without having egos run amok. We're in the highlight era, and everything's a highlight, and if it's not a highlight, it's not worth showing, and, and it's just the opposite of what he would look at it. He would look at the process. He would look at the, uh, um, the effort that goes in to that final product and, and, and you know, maybe I think a lot of coaches are probably uh, paying attention to that but Jerry really brought it to the forefront that's right I, I just miss him uh, to, to walk walk on the bus every day and have him sitting in the front seat and just kind of giving you a nod and knowing that we're going back to work again today or seeing him in the in the gym or uh, at the arena those getting a chance to talk in the hotel afterward uh, those are things you just can't replace. And I, I think if you ask any athlete that's played, that's what you miss more. You miss it more in the games. You miss that camaraderie. And, and uh, boy, Jerry and I were together a long time.